Isaiah chapter 9 and the verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. The joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, and this shall be with burning and fuel of fire." For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne, uh, upon, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. We know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the, the praises tonight. We thank you for the, the music. We thank you for the fact that we can bring all glory to you as we Remember our blessed Savior who came into this world, and as we rejoice and thank you for sending your Son, as we think upon your word for these few moments, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and maybe hear your voice. In the Savior's name we ask all of this. Amen. Amen. Tonight, I'm going to speak to you about Christmas peace. In the verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, we have these remarkable titles of Jesus Christ. Whenever we look at Isaiah chapter 9 and the verse 6, we see the whole scope of who Jesus is. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There is a depth of theology in those words. The child was born but the Son was not born. That is entirely different from normal human experience. When a child is born and that child is a male, the Son is also born. But in this case, the Son was not born. It was the child that was born. The Son was given. Because while Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, he was not Joseph's firstborn son. He was the Son of God. And he had dwelt for all eternity with the Father 
as John records in the very bosom of the Father, showing us the deep intimacy that existed between Father and Son in the Holy Trinity. He was His only begotten Son. And we cannot begin to understand the love that flows between the Father and Son within the Holy Trinity. The love that we have for one another is but a pale reflection of that pure and sublime love that flows between the Father and Son. And yet the Father gave His Son. And He gave His Son to be born as a child, to be conceived in the womb of a woman, and to live in this old broken world of which we are a part. And it was all for us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God gave His Son for us. He gave His Son for you and for me. He gave His Son that our lives might be changed and transformed. He gave His Son that we might have hope. It was all for us. And yet we are so undeserving. We have no right to any of it. It's all about God's grace, God's love to mankind. And then we look again at this text and we see that this child born and son given is a ruler. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Someone that has the government upon their shoulders has a very onerous responsibility. It's a heavy weight. It's a burden. The government is upon his shoulder. In the book of Revelation, we read of him being king of kings and lord of lords. And then we have his name. Names are very precious things. Names state who we are. They are how we are identified, the name that we are given. And Christ has many names. And we have these names set forth here in Isaiah 9, verse 6. He is wonderful. He is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord, the wonder of Christ. He's a counselor. He's there to give us instruction. He's there to guide us. He's a counselor. And we could remove the comma there and say he's a wonderful counselor. Whenever we are troubled, there is hope for us. There's guidance for us. There's certainty for us. And in an uncertain world, we need that. And that comes through this book. And that's why we should take time to read this book and to follow its instruction. He is the mighty God. That cannot be said of any mere man. No mere man can be the mighty God, but Jesus Christ is. He is the everlasting Father. It shows His unity with the Father. And then we have this word at the end, this title for Christ, this name for Christ, the Prince of Peace. As Mary gave birth to Jesus, and as she held Him in her arms, she was looking into the face of the Prince of Peace. We're going to think about that just for a few moments. Christmas peace. How Jesus is the 
the Prince of Peace. In the first place, there is promised peace. Isaiah was given these words centuries before the great transaction took place in Bethlehem, whenever Jesus was born. So there is the promise here that this child born and this son given would be the Prince of Peace. It was a promise. And God kept his word. And the angels, they spoke to the shepherds. Peace on earth, they said. The Prince of Peace has come. Why did God promise peace through Jesus Christ? He did so because it was wholly necessary. And you don't need me to tell you about the division that exists in this world, the wars, the fighting, the bloodshed, the cruelty, the barbarity, the division that exists between nations, the divisions that exist within nations, the divisions between rich and poor, the divisions between people of different ethnic backgrounds, the division between people of various religions. This world is a world of deep division, and division breeds hatred. But Christ came to bring peace, because ultimately all of the strife in this world, it stems from one thing, that we are sinners. And where there is sin, there will be trouble. And where there is sin, there will be enmity. And where there is sin, there will be hatred. Centuries before Isaiah was given this word, Jacob was dying. And he pronounced blessings upon his sons. And these blessings, they were prophecies as to how their sons, future generations, how they would work out. And as Judah, as Jacob gathered his sons together, and he spoke to Reuben, and then he spoke to Simeon and Levi, and then he looked at Judah. And he said concerning Judah in Genesis 49 and 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And Shiloh was a variation of the Hebrew word for peace. And unto him shall the gathering, the people be. And there is an indication that one would come from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he would come to bring peace. And people from this old, broken, divided world would come to him. They would be gathered to him. We see some of that in the gospel record. The people coming to Christ, coming to Christ for help, coming to Christ for words of wisdom. We see Gentiles coming to Christ. We see Jews coming to Christ. We see those that are blind and those that are maim coming to Christ. Those that are poor coming to Christ. We see them coming and yet still they rejected him and they put him on the cross. And then on the great day of Pentecost, we see those thousands and they came to the apostles as they preached the word of Christ. Then we look at the life of the apostle Paul and he went from nation to nation and he crossed the sea into Europe and the people started to come. The people started to be gathered. 
And today the gospel has gone out into all the different continents of the land and nations of the world. And people are still coming. They're still being gathered to Christ. And we are here all these thousands of years later. We're thinking about him, the child that came, because the peoples are still being gathered unto Christ. The promise was given. And Christ said himself, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to every nation on the earth, to all tribes and to all tongues. You're to go and you're to preach, for the people would be gathered unto him. And the promise was given. Have you come to Christ? Have you gathered under the feet of Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Because there's no hope apart from Him. There's no true peace apart from Him. He is the Prince of Peace, the one who was promised. Then, this peace is permanent. It's permanent. There's no true peace in the world that lasts. Peace in this world doesn't last. You think of what's happening in Israel at the minute and the horrible suffering that there has been on both sides of that dreadful conflict. And the best that people are hoping for is a cessation in violence, just a ceasefire. And there has been that. And then the guns started again. And even if there is some kind of more long-lasting truce, we know that the conflict will spark off again because it has always been there. But, but that's true of nation after nation upon the course of this world. That War keeps showing its ugly head again. There's nothing permanent about the peace of this world. Even in this 21st century, when man thinks he has advanced and progressed and is better than his ancestors everywhere, and that's a load of rubbish, you know. We're no better. In fact, we're worse than we ever were. When you look at the state of this nation and the state of this world, the only true permanent peace cannot be found in government policies or the papers of some academic. The only true permanent peace can only be found through Jesus Christ, because He alone is the Prince of Peace. Quite interesting when we look at this word, Prince. It literally means one who turns the head of another. One who moves ahead in the right direction. Of course, that's what leadership is. Leadership doesn't just advise, it enthuses, and people follow, and ideas are shaped, and heads are turned in a certain direction. And this is the power of this Prince of Peace, because the real trouble, it lies in our hearts, and it lies in our souls because we're at war with God. We're enemies of God because of our sinfulness. And so, we need the Prince of Peace. We need Him to come and to change us and transform us and give us something deep and something real within our hearts and souls, something that lasts. 
You know how it is said that still waters, they always run deep. And the psalmist talked about the Lord being my shepherd, and I not want, he said. And then he talked about walking beside the still waters, and where there's shallow waters and little depth, the waters are rushing, and they're bubbling, and they're frothing, and there's no real peace there. But where there are still waters, there's depth. And this peace that comes from Christ, it's deep. It's deep. Because it transforms the heart. He changes the soul. And he brings peace to our souls. And have you real peace in your heart tonight? Have you peace in your heart? You know, the peace the Lord gives can withstand any storm. The peace the Lord gives can withstand the pressures of life. And we don't know what tomorrow brings, and we don't know what next year will bring, but when you have the peace of the Lord, you have something real, genuine, concrete, something that'll give you a sense of purpose, knowing that God's in control, knowing that you have a heavenly Father. You might not understand why everything might happen, but you know He's a great purpose and a great plan, and you know He's always in control. And there's just a marvelous peace with that, that we're not just cast adrift in the oceans of time and chance. It's nothing like that at all. We have a great God who loves His people and who always has us as the very apple of His eye, who looks upon us from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and He looks after us with great care and absolute attention. And as for God, the psalmist said, His way is perfect. Just to have that peace, it's, it's permanent. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you will not have that kind of permanent peace. Whenever the end comes, and we are called upon to leave this world and go out into the great eternity, there's peace. I have never, ever met a Christian who is afraid to die. Yes, we don't like leaving this world behind. We don't like leaving family behind. We know that that will happen, but it's something that fills us with a sense of dread. But there's no fear of death itself in terms of what comes afterwards. But for someone that's an unbeliever, death is a terrifying prospect because eternity is a terrifying prospect. And only Christ can bring that permanent peace. That's why you need to know Him. You need to trust Him. You need to give Him your heart. But there's one final thing I want you to think about here. It's a purchased peace. Peace has a price. The price of peace Sometimes you hear of that. There was going to be peace. What sacrifices are going to be made? What principles have to be given up? What cherished ambitions have to be surrendered just to have peace? This peace that the Lord brings is a peace that has a price, and it's the greatest price of all. In the book of 
Hebrews chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the coming of Christ into the world. And he says there in Hebrews chapter 2 and the verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. And there we have the incarnation. There we have Christ being born of Mary. As a child is flesh and blood, as we all are flesh and blood, as we all are humanity, he also himself likewise took part of the same. The Son of God became man, and he became a real man. He became flesh and blood. He took part of the humanity that we have. Now, he did it without sin. He wasn't subject to the, the sinfulness of this world. But he was subject to the, the weaknesses of humanity. He had to sit down to eat. He, he grew tired. He experienced suffering. He felt pain. Oh, he felt pain. He felt pain more acute than anyone has ever felt pain. He felt the sorrows of this life. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He experienced all of that. It's an amazing thing how the Son of God could become man, how he could be so identified with his fallen creatures that he would take their humanity without sin. It was a humiliation. He humbled himself. He deeply humbled himself. But he did it for a purpose. And here in Hebrews 2.14, Paul defines that purpose. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Paul goes on to say he didn't take on himself the nature of angels. He didn't become an angel. He took on him the seed of Abraham. He was born into the family of Abraham. He became a man. There, there was a natural ancestry, a natural lineage that he could trace back. But he did it that he might die. Because peace had to be purchased for us. We who are rebellious, we who have broken God's law, we who deserve to die because the soul that sinneth it shall die. And that speaks of eternal death, eternally being cut off from God. That's what sin deserves. And so Christ had to die for his fallen creatures, but he had to die as a man. So he became a man that he might die as a man for men and women. It was the only way. So when that little child was born, laid in Mary's arms, he came to die. He came for the cross. And the cross was at the very heart of everything he came to do. And on that cross he, he died, and no man died as he died. Because he died not merely as a result of man's awful cruelty, and there was that. Crucifixion was the worst death that any race of people had ever concocted to execute victims. Terrible, terrible death, the cruelty of it, the pain of it, the barbarity of it. 
That was the death he died. That in itself was terrible enough, but that's not the whole story. Three hours of darkness. Crying out at the end of that, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took the darkness of our sin, the guilt of our sin, the weight of our sin. He took our eternal punishment in three hours. His soul was pierced. And he did it for us. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. On that cross, he defeated the power of Satan. And he defeated the, the power of death. And he gave hope for us. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There we have it. The fear of death, the terrible fear of death that exists in the heart of an unconverted man, an unconverted woman. But Jesus died that we might be delivered from the fear of death. And that's what he does. And he paid a price. The price was that death that he died. There was no death like it. That's what he did for you and for me. The purchase that we might have peace. But as with any gift, it must be received. It must be received with gratitude, with appreciation. We receive gifts tomorrow, gifts that others have given us. There should be that appreciation. There must be that appreciation. If, if we're human, surely we take time to thank others. We're given time to give us gifts. And then we think of this gift, the greatest gift that ever was, the gift of God's dear Son. Have you took out your hand by faith and received that gift, or have you pushed it away? Christmas has come and Christmas has gone. You, you push that gift away. You have all the other things of Christmas, the cultural things, all the rest of it. But you push that gift away. You push Christ away. One year comes, another year passes. You push the gift away. You keep pushing the gift away. You say, I'll accept that gift someday. I'll accept it sometime. You push the gift away. You do it because you're selfish. You do it because of the pride of your heart. You do it because you will not accept that you're a sinner. You do it because you do not want to become a disciple of Christ. You do it because you're unbelieving. You push the gift away. How about receiving the gift this year? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And of course, Christmas peace is not peace for Christmas, it's peace for life. And will you have that today? Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word and pray you write it upon every heart. For those that do not have your peace, pray that would receive it. And come to Jesus, that the Prince of Peace might be their Prince, their Savior. Bless us as we sing this hymn in closing, for Christ's sake.